0: Please remain standing and pray with me. Come Holy Spirit now into this hour and touch the word you yourself inspired. Uh, May it spring up brightly in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that you would grant us a confidence in the proclamation of the gospel. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lord, grant us the confidence to stand on that promise and Lord, where faith is flagging or where it has yet to take hold, I pray that the preaching of this word this morning would be the means that you use to bring men and women to faith in Jesus Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe may be seated. Well, let me set the stage a little bit for us here with the gospel reading today. In today's gospel text, we are back on the road to Jerusalem with Jesus. In fact, the road in uh, Mark's gospel comes to take on an almost technical term. The Greek word is hodos. And for Mark, though, it means the road that leads to Christ's crucifixion and ultimately to His resurrection. So it is the road to the cross. And so we're back on the road to Jerusalem with Jesus. We know that Jesus is on His way there for what will become known as Holy Week. That week begins with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, you remember that, where the crowds are shouting Hosanna to Jesus as their Messiah King. And it ends with the same crowd probably shouting for His crucifixion. Now right now Jesus is on His way out of the town of Jericho. And that's the point where we encounter blind Bartimaeus. Now we need to recognize where this passage comes from. In in Mark's gospel, this passage of Scripture is strategically placed in Mark's gospel. It's the final, it's a final little story. We call those little stories in Scripture pericopes. It's the final little story and a long block of intense, intense instruction, intense teaching on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that section on discipleship, this block of teaching, begins when Jesus heals another blind man back in Mark chapter 8. And the healing of Bartimaeus is the other end, the other bookend, so to speak, that closes this section of Mark's gospel that focuses on discipleship. This is a critical passage for understanding discipleship. Also, on the, uh, also the account of Bartimaeus immediately, if you'll remember last week, the account of Bartimaeus immediately follows the passage we read last week in which James and John ask Jesus for seats on his right hand and on his left hand when he comes in his glory, into his glory. And that self, listen, that self-seeking ambition was an example to us last week of bad discipleship. Bad disciples. All right? Jesus tells them that the lust for power and prestige and position is a characteristic of the pagan Gentile world. You know that the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, the rulers of the Gentiles. He's comparing their desires, James and John's desires for power, prestige, and position with Gentile longings. And that his followers, on the, on the other hand, should, seek, should strive to serve all, and not to lord it overall. So defective discipleship, the defective discipleship exhibited by James and John, deceptive, decept, excuse me, defective. I, I had a trouble with uh, English last week too. I don't know what's going on. Uh, defective discipleship is following Jesus, defective fo- discipleship is following Jesus with pagan expectations, following Jesus with pagan expectations. And right on the heels of that story comes the Bartimaeus account. Mark places these two narratives, these two stories in Scripture, back to back because he wants us to see the comparison between defective discipleship as displayed by James and John, people who evidently couldn't see what it meant to follow Jesus. He wants us to have that comparison with authentic discipleship as demonstrated by Bartimaeus. And we know that Mark wants us to link those stories. He intentionally links those stories, and we know that he wants us to because Jesus asks identical questions to James and John and then to Bartimaeus. And here's the question he asks. What do you want me to do for you? That's the same question he asked last week. Now, here's the point. Are you ready? Our expectations and desires... As followers of Jesus Christ, our expectations and desires will determine whether we have an authentic or a defective discipleship. James and John point to a defective discipleship, and Mark uses Jesus' encounter with Bartimaeus to convey a model of what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been around Christ Church for a while, you know that I am not a big fan of what I call enumerated sermons, four ways to be a better employee, five ways, uh, nine ways to marital harmony, five ways to better kids, uh, you know, four steps to fulfilling Bible study. Any any sermon title that has a number uh, in it is probably going to be a list of things, and I just don't like those because I think that kind of sermon, that kind of preaching fuels our idolatrous preoccupation with pragmatism. In other words, our, obs- our obsession that values relevancy and efficiency and practicality over and above holiness, faithfulness, and obedience. It just feeds American pragmatism. So I hate those enumerated ser- sermons. And by the way, lists are just boring. They're just boring. Yes. Yeah, so, Yeah. Yet with that in mind, <laughs> uh-huh, I can't help but notice that the encounter between blind Bartimaeus and Jesus reveals seven qualities of authentic discipleship. So here we go. First of all, and you really could write these down. First of all, discipleship begins with recognizing our utter dependence on Jesus Christ. Discipleship begins with recognizing our utter total dependence on Jesus Christ. We cannot approach God with any self-confidence on our own merit or worthiness. I want you to know something, brothers and sisters. We live in a secularizing culture, but just because the culture is becoming more secular does not mean people have stopped being self-righteous. They've just found different things to be self-righteous about. Coming to Christ means we have no righteousness or worth or merit on our own. If you remember last week's text, James and John come to Jesus from a position of privilege, maybe even a sense of entitlement. After all, they had been a part of Jesus' inner circle. It was Peter and James and John who went up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they saw Jesus revealed in his glory. Those other disciples had to stay somewhere else. They were back at the Motel 6. And James and John and Peter were on the Mount of Transfiguration. James and John wished to trade upon their privilege to gain a special position. But Bartimaeus, in contrast, is a total outsider. He is outside of the mainstream of the socioeconomic order as a blind beggar. He sits begging where? Outside the city. He is outside the crowd who are vying to be close to Jesus. And then when he attempts to gain entry to the inside, he is literally told, shut up. Be quiet. Stay on the outside where you belong, Bartimaeus. So Bartimaeus has no claim whatsoever on Jesus. He's a beggar and he knows that Jesus owes him nothing. All he can do is to cry out from the outside, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears and welcomes the outsider. That's how we all have to come to Jesus. As outsiders, not insiders. With nothing to stand on. The beginning of discipleship is recognizing that we come to Christ as beggars. We recognize our neediness and our position of absolute dependence. Um, folks, most people, uh, there are people who go through life and, and all of their not having life together is open for everybody to see. But then there are those of us who have enough um, finance, finances and security That we can hide all our brokenness. We can can keep it within the four walls of our home, and nobody knows, and maybe even we forget just how messed up we really are because we are lulled into a sense of somehow we have worth or merit. We've got it all together. We have to recognize our neediness and our position of absolute dependence. We have no claim on God based on our good works or our moral achievements. We have all our righteousness in the flesh is as filthy rags. That's how God sees your righteousness. All that stuff you gave to United Way and all those walks you did to make other people get healthy about some kind of disease and all that time you even spend at the food pantry counts as filthy rags if that's what you're trying to come to God based on, on your own merit and righteousness. All our intellectual prowess and educational accomplishments Our career or social position, our bank account or our pedigree mean nothing. We come as beggars, every one of us. Augustus Toplady, great hymn writer of the 18th century, summed it up when he wrote the words to Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul I, to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. There is no such thing as a self-sufficient disciple. The second mark of discipleship we see in Bartimaeus is a disciple acknowledges acknowledges Jesus' unique claim as the Messiah of Israel and the fulfillment, fulfillment of all of God's promises in the Old Testament. When Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, and then he uses this phrase, Son of David, Jesus, Son of David, he is publicly, loudly, from the outside, calling in, confessing that Jesus is Israel's Messiah, the saving King of Israel. Jesus, Son of David. Son of David is a royal title that the Messiah would bear. Jesus is heading up to Jerusalem where a cruel death on the cross awaits him and for the very first time in Mark's gospel, Jesus allows someone to publicly announce that he is Messiah because in Mark's gospel, right up to this point, Jesus has silenced those who would proclaim him to be Messiah. But now, as the cross draws near and the true meaning of the Old Testament's promise of a suffering Messiah is about to be fulfilled, Jesus allows Bartimaeus to shout this royal title. And ironically, it's the crowd and not Jesus who wants to silence Bartimaeus' confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Christ. So to be a disciple is to acknowledge that Jesus is God's one and only promised anointed one. That's what Messiah means. In Hebrew, anointed one. That's what Christ means in Greek, anointed one. A while back, my friend Greg Jinks, who, who probably will call me in the midst of this sermon, you know, I just about have to put my phone on airplane mode if I don't want him to call in the middle of something. Uh, I love you, Greg. I know you're listening to this. But anyway, a while back, he related to me that he and his wife were in a Sunday school class in which there had been a heated, for weeks, ongoing debate. They had a debate about this, over the question of whether or not Jesus is God's unique provision for the salvation of the world. If we are disciples, there is no question about that for us. And Jesus doesn't leave us with that question. He says himself in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. How many people are in the set of no one? That's right, you took new math. None, zero. And then in Acts chapter 4, it was the proclamation of the early church. Salvation is found in no one else. How many is in the set of no one else? Nobody. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And then John, a uh, little uh, book of 1 John chapter 2. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, who, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. A disciple confesses Jesus as God's unique Messiah. The third thing that is revealed here is that a disciple passionately desires Christ. Bartimaeus sought Jesus with a holy desperation. Nothing was going to dissuade him from encountering Jesus, not the shouts and the put-downs of the crowd, and not even his own garments. And it says here, And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out, All the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He cried out all the more. We see this over and over again in the lives of... Uh, and those whose lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ. The woman in the the scriptures, you remember the story, who was ritually unclean because of her issue of blood, her constant bleeding, she would let nothing deter her from reaching out her hand as an unclean, ritually unclean person to touch the hem of the Messiah's robes in that crowd so that she could be healed. healed. The Gentile Syrophoenician woman outside of Israel outside of even the territory of Israel, outside of Israel's covenant, that Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit, she literally had to argue Jesus into healing her child. She argued him into it. She won. She said, Lord, don't even the dogs get the scraps that fall from the tables. Jesus said, you're right. Go your way. Your daughter is healed. There is a holy perseverance in seeking God that is displayed in the life of a disciple. Now, the point is that we can't, this is is so important. You and I cannot treat Jesus as a hobby. We can't treat him as a hobby and be a disciple. Jesus is not something with which you can accessorize your life. Our flesh fears, though, that God wants, if we do give ourselves to Christ in this way, our flesh fears that God wants to take over our entire existence, that if the flesh is that part of me that resists God, and the flesh fears that if I let God into my life, He's going to take over my entire existence, that if we let this living God into our lives, He will completely consume us. And the flesh is right to fear that because God does not desire to be one among other activities or passions or distractions in our life. He desires to be our great joy and our great, our great passion. When we do put God first in our lives, then real joy will burst from within us. And that theme that God wants passionate engagement with Him runs throughout the entire scripture. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Jeremiah 39, familiar verse. You will seek me, or actually Jeremiah 29, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. You know what? We live in a culture that is—it makes it harder and harder to pay close attention to anything. We have—I've got it—terminal case of the distractions. Do you realize that it uh, for a person to begin to enter into deep conversation with someone, it, that 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 pivotal mark in a conversation that goes from surface stuff to a deep con- con- uh, conversation happens between five and seven minutes into a conversation. And do you know what? Researchers have found now as almost without fail, somewhere between five and seven minutes in any conversation, someone pulls out a smartphone. And so we just stay stuck at the shallowest, most distracted level of relationship. And that, that applies to our relationship with God. The scripture says in James, draw, James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then Jesus rebukes the Laodicean church in Revelation 3. He says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. And my goodness gracious, isn't that that, uh, a description of so much of our lives in Christ? Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. God desires our passionate intensity. Number four, real discipleship is marked by joyful obedience. What happens when Jesus calls Bartimaeus to him? I love this. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. I love the fact that Mark lets us know that he threw off his outer garment. That reminds us that we should be ready to shed anything that hinders us in coming to Christ. As a beggar, his cloak may have been his only source of warmth or protection at night. And he was literally uh, literally willing to leave everything behind to come to Jesus. And in the same way, we have to be willing to walk away from our security, our intellectual pride, our self-directed lives, if they impede us coming to Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 says it so well, Therefore, since we are surrounded... By so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings. Let us cast aside, lay aside every weight. Is there a weight in your discipleship? Are you trying to run a marathon carrying 50 pounds in a backpack? Every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. Number five, a disciple has real faith, has faith in Jesus. Now that sounds obvious. That is the duh moment in the sermon. Duh. But I think the character of faith is so dramatically painted by Bartimaeus' request. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now, you have to wonder why. I mean, Jesus asked Bartimaeus what he wanted. He's obviously a beggar, standing there, obviously blind. But Jesus' question allows Bartimaeus, it allows Bartimaeus for him to give his full expression of faith. Jesus, I believe you can do this. Let me see again. I believe you can do this. You can almost hear the breathless, desperate faith. And Bartimaeus's reply. And as we noted at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus asked Bartimaeus the same question that he asked James and John. And ironically, it was James and John who are blind to the real nature of discipleship when they ask Jesus for glory. But Bartimaeus, listen, he asked for the right thing. He doesn't ask for power. He just asked for his sight. He wants to see clearly. The 11th century Arabic Diatessaron, uh, oh, that's right, I just said that in church. Diatessaron, don't worry, it's not a parasite or anything like that. No, the 11th century Diatessaron in Arabic is an Arabic uh, compilation of the, it's basically a harmony of the scriptures. It's all of the New Testament passages combined into one. And it renders Bartimaeus' question or response to that question like this. Listen, I love this. Let me receive my sight that I might see you. Let me receive my sight. Lord, open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus to reach out and touch Him, to say that we love Him. Number six, A disciple is saved by faith alone. Jesus said, "Go, your faith has, your faith has healed you. Now when Jesus says, "Your faith has healed you, He uses the Greek word sozo, which means both to heal and to save. It's the same word. To heal and to save are the same word in the language of the New Testament. It is by coming to Jesus, as Bartimaeus did, as empty-handed beggars, believing that Jesus is the Messiah who has the power to transform our lives, that we are healed, that we are saved. Indeed, it is because God... It is because God God makes us aware. God makes us aware of our very neediness and our beggared condition that we come to Christ in the first place. I want to just stop there and and emphasize that. Uh, The the sense of my need, my personal need for Christ is not something that I come to awareness of all by my, my, my little smart self. That in and of itself Our understanding, the the understanding of our need for Christ is itself a work of God's grace. And if you don't feel like you need Jesus, you need to pray for a work of God's grace. And I'm I'm, I'm speaking to us as believers. If we feel that we don't need Jesus that much, that we're okay right now, thanks for saving me, Uh, i got life pretty much taken care of. If I need something, I'll let you know. We need a work of grace in our life to remind us of our desperate situation. God, please give me that. Walter Brueggemann wrote, Jesus' response is quick and simple. Go, your faith has cured you. His faith has done it. His faith is an act of hope which refuses to settle for the status quo. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This blind man's only resource was things hoped for, things not seen. And such faith gave him sight. Such faith moved God's we live in a meritocracy, a system that rewards hard work and, and accomplishment. But there is no hard work, there is no good deed, nothing we can do that can save us. Only in Jesus Christ, by faith, are we transformed. That's the only way. It's still. And you know what? That's the old, old story. That's the gospel. And folks, it might not, it might not be um, as entertaining to some people as it used to be. But It's not going to change here. That is the only story we have to tell. And finally, a disciple follows Jesus. Immediately, immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Remember that word, road, for Mark? Is almost a technical term. It it means a road to the cross. That's what a disciple does. Discipleship is not a life of stagnation, of having arrived. It is a dynamic walk with a real person on a day-to-day basis. Jesus' walk in the gospel will take him to the cross. And as his disciples, we have to follow him there if we are truly going to follow him. But it doesn't stop at Calvary. It continues beyond death to a new country. An undiscovered country. When Jesus is raised to life again on the third day, He invites us to follow Him there too. He invites us to share His victory over death and defeat. Disciples, along, disciples who follow alone can do that. That is the way. We... Re- We recapitulate that walk, that walk following Christ on the way every Sunday at Christ church. As disciples, in particular, at the moment when we come to the Lord's table, we follow Jesus to the cross where we witness His offered body and share in His shed blood. And every Sunday, we follow Him to the tomb so that we can wait in expectation for His resurrection. And in the joy of that resurrection, every Sunday we pull back the veil just a little bit and catch a glimpse of His coming glory in His kingdom. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. This morning, let us be led by the blind. Follow the blind man who was made to see again and let us be authentic disciples. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.